ever done an internship know that when you go on internship they don't really let you be in charge of anything they tend to give you a supervisor someone who keeps an eye on you make sure you don't mess anything up too badly you have to have a certain amount of training to be completed before they even let you go out and interact with others and generally on internship you have to document everything in seminary or pastor school, they send you on essentially two internships during your education. One is in a church setting, and the other is called CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. Many, I'd say most, students do CPE in a hospital setting. However, I was fortunate enough to do mine in a nursing home. We had a week of intensive training before they let us roam the halls of our care center. We met with doctors and dementia experts, aging specialists, and nurses who knew the ins and outs of daily life in a care center. It was so much information in such a short amount of time, and it was very overwhelming. And then they sent us in. Go and be ministers, they said. Honestly, even after that week of training, I had no idea what I was doing on that first shift on my floor. What I really wanted to do was hide in the chaplain's office until it was time to go. But after five months as a chaplain intern at a care center, I learned I wasn't too bad at it. And I did learn a few things. First, never ever get in the way of bingo, mealtime, or a field trip to Target. <laughs> I learned how to say church lady in sign language, which I later learned was actually church girl, <laughs> but I guess that's how they saw me, so I wasn't too offended by it. <laughs> I learned to lead a Bible study with people who didn't always know what day it was, but they completely knew and understood the love of God. I learned the art of listening because there were always stories to be told. I learned the joy of silence, of sitting in the garden, smelling herbs and flowers and feeling the breeze and sunshine. I learned that singing would soften even the toughest cookies. I learned how to knock on doors and have them tell me to go away without taking it personally, though that one took a little while. And I learned that my belovedness did not change depending on who was willing to talk with me and who was not. Though again, that one took me a little while to learn too. When Jesus was in the middle of teaching the disciples about God and what God was about, he gave them a break from their studies and sent them on internship. A trial run for a future they didn't quite understand was coming. Sort of a on-the-job Jesus follower training. And as 
usual when we read these texts together, we can learn some things about our own role as disciples, as followers of Jesus, through how he sends them and what he tells them about being sent. Now Jesus sends them out to preach and teach and to make them whole. He gives them authority, Mark says. I like this. It's a quick moment, but it's an important one. Jesus gives the disciples authority. The Greek word here is excusia, excusia, sorry, and it means to give permission or power. Jesus is essentially saying to the disciples at this moment, you know what you need to know for right now. I'm telling you, you can do it, and I'm giving you the permission and the power to do so. Now you'd think Jesus would send them off with a bag full of goodies or supplies or at least a handbook, at least maybe a little bit of scripture to work with, but no, he sends them without anything and actually tells them, take nothing with you. No clothes, no food, no money, not even an extra shirt. He sends them out empty-handed. I had three years of coursework and a week of intensive training before I was sent to my assigned floor of a nursing home. They are given authority. I sort of imagine the disciples being like, wow, cool, Jesus, that's real helpful. And being sent out sort of like I was on my first day of that care center. What am I supposed to do now? It kind of sounds like Jesus is making their internship harder than it needs to be. Couldn't they at least have had a cheat sheet along with them of like the perfect thing to say when they knocked on someone's door? So they go out empty-handed. But notice, they don't go alone. Jesus sends them out two by two. They go reliant on each other. And this begins a lesson Jesus is teaching Because they are sent with each other and nothing else, but they are also sent with nothing else to rely on the hospitality of strangers. Just take one second and imagine if this was still our way. If this were still a primary mark of discipleship today. If we were sent into the world without anything to help us accept one other person and we just had to rely on those around us that we encountered to feed us and house us and take care of us. It's kind of terrifying, right, to think of it? But I wonder how might this change the way we interact in the world if this had been the way we had always been living our faith out, if it wasn't a mark of discipleship we had set down somewhere along the way in our history? How might our perception of people seeking hospitality change if we knew and had always known what it was like to rely on strangers? How might we look at people in our country differently? This is so scary. And vulnerable, and really not how we want things to go. It's why we send people to seminary, for goodness sake, right? So we can just send them out into the world to share the good news, and we do not have to. What if they say, get out of here? 
What if they start yelling at me? What if they shut the door in my face, literally or figuratively, as I experienced both in the nursing home? What then? These are questions we ask when we hear over and over that we are sent, we are sent. We say it every Sunday, you're sent, and we're all like, okay, yay. But really our questions are, what am I being sent into, and what happens when they don't want to listen? It is not a mistake, then, that Mark chooses to place this story of internship discipleship right after a moment where Jesus heads to his hometown. Just picture the scene with me. The favorite son returns. Jesus is coming to preach in his home congregation. I imagine his parents proudly telling everyone that Jesus is back and he's preaching this week and they should all come and hear him. Small town kid made it big. Come listen. And they do. They come to the synagogue and hear him and they are astounded. That list of questions is almost offensive, but still kind of funny. Where did this guy get all this power? Didn't we grow up next to him? Where did he get all this wisdom? Isn't he Mary's kid? Isn't he a carpenter? It's offensive if you're a carpenter, for sure. How can these words we're hearing come from this guy? This guy we grew up with. So they... Reject him. Those who know him best, who have watched him grow up, who have probably known him his whole life, those who you would expect to support him and love him and encourage him are the first to turn him away. And his disciples watch it happen. And then Jesus turns to them and says, Now it's your turn. You go do this. And after what they had just watched happen, you imagine the disciples are like, um, no, thanks. But this is what Jesus does best for us. He shows us. As author and theologian Dr. Caroline Lewis said on this very text, Jesus goes first. Jesus always goes first. Jesus goes to the most vulnerable place, his hometown, and tells about the love of God there and is rejected there because he knows how hard this mission is for the disciples then and really for us now. Jesus turns to us here today in this text and says, it is your turn to go. He is giving us the authority, the permission, the power to go and make the world whole, just the same as he gave it to his disciples. He tells us to go, share, be love in the world. And we feel a lot like those first disciples, like we're being sent out into the world without the proper tools, no food, no clothes, no step-by-step guide. But just as we might feel like we're being sent empty-handed, we are also not sent alone. Discipleship is a team activity. Being a Jesus follower is a team activity. 
And thank goodness, because this sharing of the good news of who God is and what God is like is not always easy. I mean, you'd, you'd really think it'd be a slam dunk, right, to just say, God loves you, God is love. You'd think that would be kind of an easy message, but it's not. Not everyone wants to hear this good news. Not everyone wants to hear about the kingdom of God coming in and taking over and being uncontrollable and always making boundaries wider. Honestly, I don't always want to hear about this grace-filled good news that is for everyone. But it's not up to us. We are simply sent out into the world to share who God is and what God is about. And this gospel reminds us that we are probably going to be rejected when we share. It's happened to me previously, many times coming, I'm sure. It'll happen again. It'll happen to you, too. People who should love you, the ones who you'd expect to be supportive, are going to turn you away. Discipleship is hard because rejection is hard. Dr. Lewis also said this week, disciples then and now are sent out knowing God's love for them, known in Jesus, but they will quickly realize not everyone will see what they know. It's in those moments that the mission gets dangerous. Yes, it's a hard mission regardless, but it suddenly gets even more difficult when the love they preach is dismissed by others. Then they start to wonder about themselves. She continues, because rejection sets in motion a kind of unraveling, doesn't it? Causes a questioning of the self, justification of the self, validation of the value of the self, all of which are located in external forces that clamor for our attention and our loyalties. And all of a sudden, you start trusting, start believing in that which makes you feel loved in the moment, worthy in the moment, rather than trusting in the one who made you feel more loved than ever before in your whole life. This is the difficult part of being a Jesus follower, of being a disciple, not the sending. That happens every week. That happens every day. We do that just by walking out of the doors of this church and driving out of the parking lot. The hard part is that when, not if, when, we are rejected, we start to take it personally. Because to us, our faith is personal. And so we don't necessarily doubt God or question who God is, but we do start to doubt who God has proclaimed us to be. That as we are rejected, we struggle to find words and the way that we share this good news, that all are welcome and that all are beloved, we start to wonder if that promise does maybe not include us. So we stop sharing. We stop being vulnerable and taking the risk because it's too much and it's too hard. Now listen, I am with you in this. I am regularly finding myself lately in this place where I've, what I believe feels 
too vulnerable to share. When talking about God's ever-widening, all-inclusive love feels scary and too risky. Where I also feel unprepared and sent without all the tools I need. It happens all the time. But we are not alone when we are sent. We go with each other and we go with God. In a few moments, we're going to gather around the font and we're going to watch Harper Irene get marked with the cross of Christ and be called beloved. And then we're going to welcome her into the family of God and into the mission we share. We're going to say those exact words to her. We're welcoming her onto the team. Team beloved. We should get shirts, actually. I'm all about that. And if you've been feeling a little rejected lately, if you've been struggling to remember your worth and your value and your belovedness in the eyes of the one who loves you more than you have ever been loved in your life, then listen up. Those words we say to Harper this morning are for your, for you too. If you need to come on up here and dip your finger in the font and remind yourself of this after worship, you do it. You are beloved. You are a part of this team. Look around you, really. I mean, I'm not just saying that from up here. Look around the room. This is our team. We are sent together. We go confident in who we are, even when we doubt that on occasion. We have been named and claimed beloved children of God. So we can be sent empty-handed, but not alone, and so loved. So, so loved. Amen. There's so many people who have been hurt by the church, so many people who have been hurt by Christian teaching. And each one of them has a different story. So how we respond to that, I think the first thing to do is to really listen to that story and hold it in all of its brokenness and, and acknowledge it as wrong and, and acknowledge it as suffering and um, anoint it as holy. Um, but I guess I still have hope and, and I would want people to know that you know the church is a reflection of Christ and it's not Christ and that Christ pursue them to the ends of the earth and that Jesus says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest and uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message translates that beautifully into are you tired, are you burned out on religion um, you know, come with me, watch me follow me, I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace <laughs> uh, oh, the unforced rhythms of grace that I may live dance um, and that's my prayer for all who have been burned by religion, is that they learn the, the unforced rhythms of grace and follow this, this Jesus who um, doesn't place heavy teachings on people, doesn't place a heavy yoke on people, but welcomes all. If you're hungry, you're welcome. If you're sick, you're welcome. If you need love, you will find love. It's good news. It is good news. We just have to remember that it's good news. It's not bad news. It's good news.
good news. I mean, the bad news is that we can't do it on our own. <laughs> but um, I mean, the bad news is that we we're broken. The good news is that we're broken and beloved, and that God will pick it up.